Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olsson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is Mikael Dalen, speaker, writer and professor at the Stockholm School of Economics. Together with Helge Torbjörnsen, he is the co-author of the new book Siffredjur, or Numbers Animals, as the translation would go. I think the English title is still undecided. I have to say, I had a great time doing this conversation. I've been meaning to meet Michael for a long time, and I'm happy we made this chance. We actually share uh, the same office building, but we've never met before prior to this conversation. In which Mikael talks about how getting a bad rating from Uber made him realize the power of numbers. How numbers are far from logical and binary. Why people buy glasses when they turn 20, 30 or 40 rather than 23, 34 or 41. Why we judge something from likes and followers instead of the actual content. And how hacking your workout stats can fool your brain that you can run faster and better. Which is something he actually did to his wife. More on this in this episode. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and events. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Mikael Dalian. Enjoy. All right, I'm sitting here with Mikael Dalian. Very happy to meet you. We are actually in the building that we are both having our uh, daily lives here at uh, Gete Tretti in Stockholm. Uh, and uh, we're, we're, where we are using their, their podcast studio. So I'm happy to, uh, for once, have this more official conversation with you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, happy to to first meet in, for real, in person. It's kind of a sign of the times that we we both kind of live here, at least we work here, yeah. but during the pandemic and everything, not so much kind of fluid being here and not being here. Uh, I think a lot of people in Sweden and definitely in the business world know you as a professor at uh, Handelshögskolan, which which English name now escapes me. What's the... It's Stockholm School of Economics. Right. Uh, obviously, a writer, a lecturer, a researcher uh, who is now out with a new book, Swedish title is Sifferjur, Number Animals, directly translated. I'm sure there's an English uh, title coming up, perhaps. Uh, not sure it's going to be that one that you've written together with uh, your colleague Helge uh, Torbjörnsen. Uh, is it going to be in English? And Do you know the title? Uh, it's going to be in English. I'm not sure about the title. I have a number of potential titles that mm. I'm very fond of but that the international publishers need to decide. I like provocative titles, Mm. and uh, I uh, frequently come to the realization that being provocative in Sweden is usually taking steps far beyond what's provocative in many other countries. Right, (laughs) right. We'll see about that. (laughs) Maybe we can, maybe we can reveal some of uh, some of the topics off off air then later. Um, <laughs> anyways, it, it's a book about numbers. It's really a book about the way we live. I'm really curious. I know it's something you've been working on for a long time. So just you know, set up the 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 premise of this and and the origin story behind it. 
Yeah, it's a book about the, the time we live in that is suddenly crammed with numbers. Mm. Everything we do all the time generates numbers and we have become increasingly aware of them since we have our pocket calculators, our translators with us wherever we're everywhere we go in the shape and form of our smartphones and all the mm. screens so we can't even wake up before we become of the numbers we've produced while sleeping mm. the numbers of hours we've slept the quality of sleep and so forth and then it just continues throughout the day the numbers of steps we takes during the day, the numbers of hours we work, uh, the rating of uh, the cab ride we took to um, the restaurant, which we also rated, the rated we the rating we received as passengers in the cab, the numbers of likes we received on the lunch we we uh, posted in social media and so forth. The numbers are everywhere and it's happened so fast i mean you just need to go back a few years like five years ago we didn't have all these ratings mm. and numbers and everything so it's happened so fast that we have not really become aware of it was there a particular moment when you knew you wanted to dive deeper into this do you did you know yourself when you realized okay we're, we're sort of surrounded by numbers in a way that that uh, is just exponentially growing yeah, I had a number of, like, epiphanies or agonies. <laughs> One of those <laughs> epiphanies slash agonies was when I first realized that I was being rated mm. as a passenger uh, when taking an Uber ride. Um, I, I remember it was actually in... LA. I was there with my son and he told me after we got out of the car the 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 driver was so nice, much nicer than the drivers in Sweden. And this was a couple of years ago, obviously. And I told him, Well I think that might be because now we're going to rate him. Did you mm. hear the ping in my phone? That's Uber asking me to rate mm. the driver. Uh-huh, he said. And then he added, well, uh, you were actually nicer too than you are when riding a cab in Sweden. And I started saying, well, that might be because uh, it's contagious. He was nice and I became contagious. And then it just struck me, could it be that he raided me too? <laughs> so I I looked it up and yeah, he did. And agony, I got a three out of five. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it hurt. It yeah, hurt. Yeah. I still remember Why do you think that was, though? Do years you, later. <laughs> and I needed to find an explanation. Because, like, intuitively, I felt that, oh, is this all I'm worth? Was I not a mm. good enough person? Mm. And I, it hurt me. And now whenever, whenever I'm about to get into an Uber or a cab... I feel a kind of performance anxiety that 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 drive mm. that ride I need to perform my very best to get a good enough rating. 
But did you feel then, because I think what you're describing is also like one positive side and one sort of negative side at the same time. It's like, on the one hand, it was perhaps a more pleasurable experience because he was nicer and you were both nicer and perhaps you had a better time that you than you would in, uh, you know, a regular taxi Stockholm here in, in Sweden. Mm. But but on the other hand, afterwards, you also uh, kind of uh, screwed up uh, and got a got a worse rating. So did you feel like, we're is this a... Did this move you in a more dystopian mindset, or did you feel like there there are positives to this as well? Yeah, and it's it's not either or, mm. really. It it's kind of the same thing as with money, for instance. As an economics professor, obviously, I'm questioned all the time about whether money is good or bad, mm. and my stance is that money is not good or bad it can be both and it depends on how we perceive and use them we invented them for good purposes mm. to to be able to to interact make exchanges to to plan and everything like that and it's the same thing with numbers i mean we invented numbers to better plan to better assess what we're doing to to make it accountable, to to uh, follow up, to motivate ourselves, and that's the thing with numbers, and that's hence the title "Number Animals." Uh, numbers motivate us. We can't help ourselves to react instinctively to numbers. Whenever there's a number, we want to increase it, and, and the problem is that we react so instinctively that it so easily gets out of hand. Mm. So, in the beginning, it motivates us. It motivates drivers to be nicer. Uh, step counts motivate us to, to take more steps, to walk more. But instinctively, we just keep doing more and more and more and try to make those numbers even bigger. Mm. Uh, till pretty soon... They don't simply motivate us anymore, but they perform a kind of, it creates a kind of performance anxiety. It it um, becomes a end in itself rather than, a, than the means it was supposed to be. Like I've heard so many anecdotes from people having read the book and, and realized that, yeah, uh, I started counting my steps, and that was great. But recently, I found myself walking around the block again and again, again, because I couldn't open the door yeah. and get inside in my house because the number was nine thousand seven hundred and eighty-seven steps, mm. and I felt that I just had to get to 10,000 steps. Yeah, I've done that so many times myself. That's why but I'm why? Yeah. yeah, why do I need to? I mean, those extra 213 steps, it they don't really matter. The mm. marginal utility of those steps to your health and so forth, they are definitely marginal. And it becomes like kind of an obsession that you do it for its own sake rather than what it was meant to do. Mm. In the very beginning. And like the craziest examples are like uh, a friend of mine 
who uh, one day was in a really bad mood, stressed, frustrated, and she told me, yeah, I forgot to meditate yesterday. So I, pardon the Swedish, I fucked up my meditation streak. There's such a thing like run run streaks yeah, are very yeah, popular yeah. now. You get account for how many days consecutively you run, and that's great. People mm. run more uh, a distance every day, and the same thing. There are now counters uh, apps for meditation to have meditation streaks. How many days consecutively you meditate to come to a perfect zen-like state of mindfulness? But when it gets out of hand so like my, my friend all that meditation all that mindfulness she achieved out the window mm. when she fucked up the number so the number made her stressed frustrated and everything that was not supposed to happen by way of the meditation uh, th- there's one thing that this book really uh, sort of shines the light on and I really appreciated that going into it because I consider myself uh, a letters person if you will I'm mm-hmm. a writer at heart I, good for you I, I've never um, you know f- f- uh, you know more like a, a, a language person than a math person so in a way throughout my life I kind of been scared of numbers because there's this perception that numbers are super accurate and tells (laughs) the truth uh, and so forth and what what you really shine a light on is number is uh, like with money i guess is a story Uh, and it's not an exact science and you can twist them and you can turn them and and they also influence us in ways that that implies that um well it's not this sort of exact uh, uh, science or, or or just perhaps an exact reflection of the world which goes to this this example like uh, we want to pr- pr- project like a perfect uh, image of the world and then numbers become like storytelling um, talk to me about this this mindset and, and you, you, you you talk about sort of awakening up uh, awakening us from this sort of numbers psychosis was was this an important uh, mission with the book yeah very much so very much so the realization that numbers abound they're everywhere mm. right now suddenly so quickly this happened almost overnight and the realization that we are number animals Mm. literally Mm. we have neurons in our brains that are programmed from early age from kindergartens Mm. to to associate numbers with our primal instincts Uh, so we can't help ourselves but to react uh, on these numbers and yeah we forget that numbers are made up we made them up Mm. All the ratings are subjective. We made up ratings to somehow deceptively make concrete those experiences mm. that would require so many words to describe. Even the economy that I work with, with GDP and economic growth and, and profit and everything, is made up too. Economists decided a couple of decades ago that this is the way we should assess 
engage what the economy is about, how it's progressing, how it's growing, and so forth. And we forget that there was a lot of debate a couple of decades ago whether this was the right or wrong way. And now we just take it for granted. Mm. This is the way the world works and is progressing or not, and, and so forth. And, and news are filled with numbers. That's also something we looked into. In, in the past decade, the, the number of numbers mm. <laughs> has doubled, tripled, quadrupled in, in news reports because people think that whenever there's numbers in the news, those news are more correct. So we're more prone to click on those news, to read those news, because we think, well, that's all we need to know. Whenever there's numbers in the news, it turns out we're less prone to read the entire story we just browse the numbers. Okay, that's all I need to know. We're less prone to think for ourselves, to be critical, to be uh, empathetic with what it's all about. And even journalists, even journalists are more prone to write up a news story if they can find numbers to report on because they know that that will be more credible and more read. And journalists believe that numbers need to be true because numbers can be verified. Hmm. I, I can look it up somewhere. Okay, where does this number come from? I can verify it. And, and that's the crazy thing. Simply because journalists, simply because all of us know that numbers could be verified, we don't feel the need ourselves to verify those numbers. Right. Meaning that not even journalists verify the numbers they report. And nobody verifies those numbers. So they can be crazy off. They can literally be made up, just figments of imagination or incorrect for, for some other reason, like a uh, rounding up or rounding down or incomplete information or like, like stop me. I, you, you, no, you notice go I on. can go on forever. Like that's, the pandemic. That, that's why we have this conversation. Like the corona reports, right. for instance. Like here in Sweden, we had crazy high numbers when it comes to corona in terms of reported uh, cases, people mm. having caught the virus, people uh, dying from the numbers and so forth. Uh, now, uh, a year, a year and a half later, uh, researchers have started backtracking those numbers and found out that one reason why the numbers were so high were a matter of type 1 and type 2 error, which is uh, errors one make in forecasting. Mm. We uh, are more prone to type 2 errors. We don't want to take the risk of uh, erroneously uh, not uh, identifying someone as having uh, caught the virus. So we rather over-report. Mm. We're, we're rather on the very safe side and say when we're not completely sure whether the person is actually uh, with the virus or not, we'll, we'll rather say that that person is mm. than not. So then we're looking into it like in uh, taking a random sample of cases from uh, some small cities in Sweden, they they found that, yeah, we can only be absolutely 
certainly sure with 15% of the early reported cases. Mm. The other 85%, maybe, mm. maybe not, but they were rather on the safe side. But the, And this goes to the, the notion that numbers is equal to the truth. Yeah. And is, is there a reason why we, you know, what's the reason behind that we as humans are so prone to believe this? Uh, is there something in our biology or, or our history uh, as, as we have evolved that, that makes us be, be so, you know, prone to think that numbers speak the truth? Yeah, and that's the cool thing, the scary thing, the, the hilarious thing. There are so many hilarious cases, and that's important to be hilarious and, and see the, the fun side. Well, such as? The comic side of the, the part of our brains that react to numbers are the same part of our brains that uh, react instinctively to uh, punishments and rewards and instinctively uh, make us uh, approach or avoid, Mm. uh, go towards or run away from. It's the same part of the brain uh, that uh, steers, that controls our motor system. So numbers, when seeing numbers, uh, we can actually become more inclined to walk forward or backward, uh, turn left or right, look up or look down. I have, I mean, the book is filled with hilarious (laughs) examples on that but that's also a, a notion we just made like two three years ago mm. that it's actually in our brain the same neurons that are there to help us react instinctively we have ourselves from kindergarten that's when we learn numbers we have programmed those same neurons in the part of the brain which is called ips which is short for intraparietal sulcus Mm. that part of the brain reacts with the same instincts it's a matter of life or death when we see numbers so to us it's it's real it's really really real it's life and death it's evolutionary can you mention some of these uh, weird examples when has this caused confusion or or uh, perhaps comedy in the, in the in the human experience. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing already. Yeah, uh, I don't know where to to begin, even. But but uh, aging, I think, is hilarious. Um, people are far more prone to buy glasses when they turn 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, rather when they turn, rather than when they turn 22 or 34 or 47 <laughs> or 51, even though there's no reason, I mean, statistically, we would be more prone to opt for glasses than any mm. other age. Mm. But in those big birthdays, when we turn the big something O, go from three something to four something, we 
age, literally and exponentially. So I looked it up, the statistics, yeah, it's true. <laughs> In the customer databases, uh, big birthdays far overrepresented when buying glasses and stuff like that. Uh, marathon runners also, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, far overrepresented. <laughs> just... So we looked into that, Helge, my, my uh, pal and I, my, my co-writer and I, yeah. we looked into that. So we asked a few thousand people, how old do you feel? What age do you feel like? And it turns out that on average, people feel 8.4 years younger <laughs> than their actual age. So we always feel a bit younger. But when turning the big something O, we suddenly feel less than six years younger. So we literally age two and a half years extra. So we even we even tested that. I I, uh, I asked a few thousand people via social media, could you please, wherever you are, could you please get down on the floor and do as many push-ups as you can and then just write it up how many push-ups were you able to do and how hard was that? And then I compared the numbers. I did an experiment. So half the people uh, did a push-ups and then I also asked them to, to report their age. And not surprisingly, people uh, over the median, older people, uh, uh, were able to do uh, less, uh, a lower number of push-ups versus the younger people. But when they were, which half the people were asked to do, report their age first, which was just a way for me to remind people mm. of the number in their age difference doubled so just being reminded that yeah i'm over the median i can't do that many push-ups they literally did fewer push-ups and perceived it to be harder and then i just had to look through the numbers okay and the big o's yeah 40 year olds did fewer push-ups than 41 year olds and 42 year olds <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm blushing here. I turned the big 4-0 this year. I just yeah. And the good thing is that next year you'll be younger. I'll be, I'll be younger again. And the year after you'll be younger too. And then you'll catch up at age 43. <laughs> that's that's insane. Okay, this is more on a uh, you know perhaps easier note are there more damaging examples in terms of our society where this can you know put us in a in a sort of a dark corner yeah uh, i mentioned the corona and the being on the safe side leading to sweden reporting the highest highest numbers in the world for mm -hmm. a period not anymore uh, could be partly due to okay um epidemiological reasons but but could also be due to uh, Sweden having fine-tuned the way report we report and not over reporting anymore and other uh, countries uh, catching up mm. and not under reporting 
anymore. But I looked into that, and I think, strangely and fascinating enough, uh, those high numbers might actually have resulted in Swedes being more stressed and more mindful because we perceive the risk to be higher mm. than it actually was. So maybe, we still don't know, maybe Sweden was the safest place to be in because of the high number scaring us to not go outdoors, not to hug people, not to do anything mm. virtually. And I uh, tested that in an experiment where uh, we've been like fed with those numbers in the news every day. Number of reported cases now up to 700,000. And again, those numbers are so big. We react instinctively to numbers, but we were never meant to really understand such big numbers, 700,000. So they stress us out. So I compared people being exposed to, okay, today's number is 700,000 reported cases which in terms of percent is not that just a couple of percent. That's not very much. But that big number, it scares us. So when people seeing that number versus seeing the percentage were asked, how worried are you? They were far more worried, almost twice as worried about um, getting the virus, uh, about surviving even. Mm. And even when I asked them, so... How's your health today? Are you feeling okay? They were more prone to feel, well, I maybe I'm feeling a bit sick today, hmm. actually. So we were actually scared to death because of those numbers that we could not really grasp and understand. So that's one example. Another example is that made-up number with the economy. Uh, I mean, the... the uh, doomsday cries at the beginning of the pandemic when GDP suddenly dropped for the first time in decades and people crying out, we're all going to die, a generation is going to get lost and created such a stress, such a stress that because of this, stock markets went down into the abyss like dropping a third of their entire values. Uh, companies shutting down, going into restrictions, people being let off before anything actually and literally had happened. So I could see, like, for the first three months, stock markets down through the bottom of the ocean, literally, mm. Companies uh, going through reconstruction, a lot of things going on before anything actually happening in the real economy. Mm. And then only three months later, stock markets back up again and now higher than ever. Which is is not a, a representation of perhaps the, the, the general public's well-being. Exactly. So it's more something else that's happening in parallel with, with uh, human life. Exactly. First, stressing out and fleeing for one's life mm. because of the projected bad numbers with the pandemic. And then starting to see new numbers that were not that bad 
turning like 180 into a kind of euphoria mm. and being overly optimistic like with stock markets and everything not because of what happens in reality but just because of those numbers and the number projected the numbers made up so how is this being uh, you know taken advantage of because i'm sure you mentioned in the beginning you you mentioned all these new apps that are coming oh, yeah. there's an exponential growth in technology that we're seeing right now and i, I you have a graph somewhere showing that our understanding or comprehension of numbers is kind of staying the same and and there's been you know evidence before that we're pretty much the same biological creature that yeah. we were 100,000 years ago but technology yeah. is you know growing uh, uh, exponentially every year so mm. i would imagine the number of numbers the number yeah. of of thing ways to track our lives and give us different inputs using numbers is just growing and growing Uh, where where are you seeing some of the most you know stark effects uh, on that? Is it social media? Is it self help apps? Is it the economy? Just you just mentioned. Where where is this? Because I'm sure pe- people are aware the way you are aware, mm. uh, and they are using it for their own purposes. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, that's been subject to debate for a couple of years now with social media platforms really catering to our basic instincts mm. with those rewards in in the shapes of numbers of likes and hearts and thumbs and and retweets and forwards and everything that we can't help ourselves but react to that's one aspect when we even craft our lives to receive those instant effects yeah. and we conducted studies on that too showing that when you received a below average numbers of likes on a recent post on like the recent breakfast you posted and you re- you received a below average number of likes on that post people intuitively automatically came to the conclusion that okay that breakfast wasn't very good rather than actually knowing i was there i was there it was my breakfast i know what that breakfast was like reconstructively they they reconstructed that experience since the number wasn't that great okay then that breakfast can't have been that good mm. and it impacts our self esteem okay maybe i'm not that good of a person since i did something that did not produce a very high number and numbers are true the thing i did the person i am might not be that great so we looked into that we looked into people who know or are led to believe that they have fewer number of likes on average on their posts or a below average number of followers um it impacts their self-esteem so they they feel less good about themselves and conversely people who have above average numbers of followers and and likes uh, get a higher sense of esteem and even uh, we conducted experiments there as well it makes them do things with that self-esteem it makes them feel that well i'm 
worth doing whatever I want because I'm such a good person because of the numbers. So like, we conducted an experiment with students mm -hmm. that reported the latest numbers of uh, likes on some posts they posted in social media and when uh, made aware that that was a high number above average, it made them more prone to do things like, for instance, uh, if they uh, did not have enough toilet paper at home, uh, more prone to borrow, within citation marks, uh, toilet paper from public restrooms at school or somewhere. <laughs> Because they were entitled, right? Because I'm entitled. I'm a good enough person. <laughs> Obviously, I have the numbers to prove Did it. Did you ask that specific question? Yeah. <laughs> we asked a whole bunch of fun questions. Uh, how far one needs to go before it's considered a transgression to interact a people with, to interact with a person in a romantic mm. manner, even though one is in a relationship mm. and having a greater number of likes and followers having a greater number uh, made people more prone to take farther steps in that interaction before so, feeling that it's a transgression so, so so the like count is related to our our infidelities yeah wow and even we we did the same thing with uh, run keepers and step counters, asking people to look. Okay, what's your latest count? Uh, your mile time or your number of steps? And again, how does that make you feel? Uh, how would you act in a situation like this? And the higher the numbers, yeah, the more entitled they felt. Uh, the more freedom they felt that they had in doing a whole lot of stuff. And on the hilarious side, again, we also asked people, people all over the world, in the US, in, in Sweden, in Finland, in Germany, uh, okay, look at a number related somehow to your life, a rating you received when you took the last Uber, or uh, whatever, and then ask them to report the temperature in the room they were in. And most people, they can't really tell the temperature in the room because mm -hmm. they don't have a thermometer at hand. So they, they had to estimate and guess. And on average, systematically, people, whenever, wherever they were, being faced with a higher number also perceived that the temperature in the room was higher and conversely a lower number mm. felt a bit colder isn't that hilarious that's, crazy that's, that's crazy and just on the social media side I mean, there's been so much talk about how social media networks are uh, it's about the content right steering the content and and, and so forth that's that creates sort of kind of this this uh polarizing effect but mm. i didn't realize that the actual like count and the statistics even in sort of these performance apps were actually what you're saying yeah. is is actually it's creating creating a polarization of the humankind in a way if yeah. you're better you feel better if you're worse you feel worse and it sort of leaves space in the middle exactly and that's the problem is again i mean the numbers were made up for a positive reason to help mm. us to know 
what's going on, to plan for it, to motivate ourselves and so forth. But, but we can't help ourselves to react instinctively and to get out of hand. So we start stressing out about our sleep numbers when they were supposed. We like become sleepless over our sleep numbers yeah, when they were yeah. supposed to help us sleep more and better and so forth. And even relationships. I mean, there are relationship apps that count the numbers of romantic gestures you make with your partner and that's i mean that's a great thing yeah that's a great thing but the problem is that then the numbers become almost like numbers you go from a a, a personal relationship of doing things with and to each other for personal romantic reasons to getting a number on that and comparing the number I need to up that number your number is higher than mine so I need to up my number and I feel my number is higher than yours so I'm like I'm one-upping you in this relationship that means that I don't need to do the dishes and so forth and it becomes like almost transactional yeah and I might blame you for having not enough high a number in our relationship. My, my number is higher than yours. I don't feel that you're contributing enough to that relationship. Well, so if I were to hack my runkeeper to present a 25% higher score to me every day, I would just inherently feel better, even though it wasn't true, right? I actually did that. You really? I actually did that. <laughs> Uh, I have I love a friend it. who's a coder, and uh, it's all very anonymous, and it's been a while. But I did that. Uh, my wife wanted to, to run a half marathon, mm. and she just couldn't get herself to do that. She started running uh, 10 kilometers and wanted to get used to that. And, and she had that. that. That's also one of my first epiphanies, one of my first realizations, that she could have uh, been out running and felt that, yeah, that felt okay. That felt pretty good. I felt pretty fast today, uh, being positive. And then she looked in the app and found, oh, no, it wasn't that good. I wasn't running that fast. Obviously, it wasn't that easy. So, like, her own experience, her positive experience of, yeah, it feels good. I'm getting in shape. Yeah, when the number wasn't in line with that, that number trumped her feeling mm -hmm. and later made her less motivated and made her less inclined to actually sign up for that half marathon. So, <laughs> so without her knowing, I, I, uh, my friend helped me uh, <laughs> hack into that app. So she was out running, came home and said, yeah, it felt, it felt okay. And probably not as good as I think, but I'm I'm going to look into it. And then, yeah, we had produced a very happy number that told another story than the actual truth, mm. that she actually ran a bit faster. And it made her so happy. It made her so happy feeling, yeah, I'm really getting into shape. It's even better than I felt. Yeah, I'm signing up. I'm signing up right now. And then and there, she signed up for the half marathon. And the next time she was out running, for the first time, she ran 1.5. Wow. And did she run the marathon? Yes, yeah, she did. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
So, uh, unfortunately, we have to wrap this up soon. I feel like I want to talk through all the uh, various examples Sorry, of I this book. Sorry, I get carried away. No, for sure, that's the reason we're doing this. Um, but I'm curious, what do you hope to uh, a- achieve with this book? What's the outcome? What, what change do you hope to make? To make people aware mm. that numbers are everywhere in the news, in society, uh, in the organizations we're in, in our relationships, even in our sleep, literally, mm. to become aware of that because it's happened so fast that we aren't really aware of it. And also to be aware that we are literally number animals. Mm. We react instinctively to this. And knowing that, I hope we can curb some of those instinctive reactions that are not really matters of life and death and have a better relationship to numbers because numbers are there to help us don't forget that use the numbers to your benefit don't make don't allow them to stress you out and to control you in a way they were never meant to and have a really good time because it's I think it's a crazy hilarious book it's a lot of fun with all the crazy examples and for real sure, life stories for sure and it's really enlightening uh, and, and mind blowing at times uh, Mikael Dalen, uh, fellow neighbor here at the uh, Give Turegatan Tetin Stockholm thank you so much for speaking to me thank you so much for having me great fun great fun let's do this again yes please You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olsen. This show was edited by Erik Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to scandinavianmind.com to become part of our movement. 